98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. One of the comments on the uh, the snake, because I had this this uh, rat, rattlesnake swimming in my pool today. Some guy tweeted a picture of my wife's dunks, because I got her the Jackie Robinson dunks for uh, our anniversary. Yes. Said, whatever you do, don't throw the dunks at it. The Jackie Robinson dunks. Nope, we'll not throw the Jackie Robinson dunks at it. Not burning my house down either, right. but you can vote on that. Don't throw your wife at the snake either. Don't send don't send her out there. No. Chelsea, go get go get that snake. No, she might send me out there. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little Suns basketball. As I reported yesterday, the Phoenix Suns do have interest in Utah small forward Boyan Bogdanovich. They, but they're one of several teams. The Lakers are another team that really wants them, but there's a handful of teams that have expressed interest in Bogdanovich. The Jazz would be willing to trade him, of course, for the right price, but the Suns don't really have anything that they want player wise. So you're not, you know, you'd have to take back an expiring contract, a Dario or a Jay. Um, now, what I heard yesterday is maybe a third team might have to get involved. Now, the Suns are not going to just get him for one first round pick because that pick's probably going to be like 29th or 30th. So th- it would probably take, if you did a deal without another team, you're probably talking about two first round draft picks, multiple first round draft picks to get Bogdanovich, who's got one year left. He's a good player. I mean, they like him. They're not going to give him away for free. He's a solid player. He can he can shoot. You could post him up. Um, he could play off the ball, which really works with Booker and Paul because they've got the ball so much. He plays really well off the ball. He's a willing defender. He's physical. He's tough. He's not a great defender, but he's a willing defender. Like he does try, and he does have some physicality. I I love the player. I mentioned it yesterday. I know you did too. I, I I think I think I would do it. I think I'd give up the two first round picks if that was what it takes. Uh, there is not really like you're not trading Mikhail or Cam to get a one year rental on Bogdanovich. No, but I no. there are other teams that are interested in him. Utah's having this kind of fire sale right now, but the Suns are one thousand percent. The Suns have called the Jazz. The Suns do have interest in Bogdanovich. Thirty three years old. He, he makes about $19 million a year. Uh, he's got one more year left on his deal. This would be simply a move to be all in on what many would consider to be the final year of, let's call it the Chris Paul window, where you think that Chris Paul has enough in the tank uh, to make another run uh, at, a, at an NBA championship. So, Gamble, let me let me put it back to you because I know you're talking to people around the league, and this is a legitimate question that I we didn't even talk about in show prep. Is there any chance this deal can happen for the Phoenix Suns without another team? Because if the Suns don't have anything the Jazz really want, that's not going to change. The Suns aren't going to suddenly. Well, they'll always have the one thing: is the draft picks. The the the, the Jazz are, but they're the not, Jazz are loving those draft picks. They're great assets. They, you know, listen. They got Laurie Markin in. 
and it's a good contract. You could always trade Laurie Markin in. You got Sexton, good contract. You could always trade him. So some of the players they got from Indiana, they're not paying them thirty million dollars. Like they're good contracts. You could like Laurie Markin's contract is a good contract. He's a nice. So you could trade that. So they want tradable assets. They want draft picks. You know, they're not necessarily looking for you know. Oh, let me go get a guy that's going to be you know. I mean, Cam Johnson doesn't do them any good. I mean, it really doesn't do them any good. Um, outside of being a tradable piece, because they, they don't, they're not planning on winning the next couple of years. No, and listen, any any player package that the Suns would want to give the Jazz in this scenario obviously centers around a Jay Crowder package, and then you got to get the salaries to match up given the situation here. I, I just don't. I don't. I don't. I don't see how this deal gets done. Maybe I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't see how it gets done without another team. You might have to. You and, might and, have and that's, to, and that's okay. Uh, but but just for conversation's sake, here on the radio, uh, I just look at the Suns want to make this happen, and there is that interest in acquiring Bogdanovich. It just might take a third team for the Suns to get the Jazz whole to make the Jazz whole in the in the Jazz's mind. It might take a third team. Like, you'd have to find somebody that maybe would take a Landry Shamit and say, you know, I like Landry Shamit a little bit. I'll give you this piece, and that piece could go to the Jazz. But I don't know. I mean, you look at the Suns' assets, and if you're holding on to Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, Mikael Bridges, and Cam Johnson, what the hell do they have? What do they have? It's got to be a What do they have that anybody would want? You take away Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, you tell me who who, who is Saric, Saric, Crowder, Shamit combination. I mean, mean, Saric expiring. Draft picks. I mean, Jay expiring. Bismack expiring. I mean, Ish Wainwright, the three guys that they added are all bottom of the. There isn't really anything there. And that's why the Jazz probably responded like they don't really have anything that we would they want. They don't. They don't. Hence the third team. Or or the multiple or you load up on the draft picks. They, they I are, don't have a player you want, but I have all right. these draft picks. But the only issue is if you give away those draft picks, like you are taking yourself out of doing something else down the road. But we can't foresee that, you know? Like the Suns. They didn't foresee Kevin Durant being available, but they held on to all their draft picks. So when Kevin Durant was available, they were in a good spot to go get Kevin Durant. Why? I have all my draft picks going forward. If you trade a couple of draft picks and then something comes up, you're not going to be in a position of strength to do it. But the question is, you can't count on that. If you acquire Bogdanovich, that essentially would kill the Durant. I mean, especially if you give up draft picks. Now you don't have draft capital to make a deal for Durant. So that would that would that would really. Squash. But man, I think we got to get past this Durant thing. Well, that, I think you I, just got to like, what do you? What can you do to make your team better? And I think James Jones might be thinking the same thing because again, you know, the, I keep I keep harping on this because it's real. The Chris Paul window is only open for a finite amount of time. Like you must. You must attack now, now. I mean, the, I mean listen. The, he's just—he's he's not thirty-two years old. Like that window is shutting. In fact, a year, maybe two. God, Gamble, maybe two. I, it's more like maybe a year. I mean, I'm not even mm. sure it's still open after the way the last two playoffs. No question. Ended. You get older, your legs start to go. Wild. Yeah, it's playoff series. To... Remember the playoff series? You play it every other day. What did the Suns do in the playoffs? They played every other day. Chris Paul got worn out by that Dallas series, playing every other day. You looked at some of these other teams. Why did they get three days rest? The Suns had a role there where they were playing every other day. That you know. 
that will wear down an older player's legs. Having to, you could say, oh, it's one day in between, but it's not. It's not a lot of rest when you get done at twelve o'clock at night, right? Or eleven o'clock at night. By the time you get to the hotel, or you got to travel and everything, you just got the one day. It doesn't do you that much good. And I'll tell you where it affects you on the court. It affects you defensively, and for a player like Chris Paul, it affects you with your three point shooting. And you'll see it. You can see it with Chris Paul. He'll get an open three, and he won't pull the trigger. And a lot of that is because fatigue. And anybody that's ever played that played basketball at any level, you know when you are exhausted and you are tired, you would think it. You would and they're pressuring your full court. Let me tell you and something. they're making you work on it's, defense. It's very interesting. You, you, one would think, conventional wisdom, it would be, when you're exhausted, it would be easier just to jack up a three than take it to the basket. That's actually not the case. When you are exhausted, it is actually easier to take it to the basket than to muster up the energy to fire up a 25-footer. I, I just I, just trust me on that. And if you've ever played the game at any level and certainly played on the perimeter, you know what I'm talking about. When you are tired, for whatever reason, it's way easier to put the ball on the deck and take it to the hole than it is to rise up and shoot a three-pointer. 5'10 Italian guys. We didn't play hoops. You went straight to the wrestling Everything room. else. Everything else. But not hoops. Straight, no hoops. Straight to the wrestling room Everything. downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my friends were all great wrestlers. Hey, they were all great wrestlers. Hey, 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 hey Gambadoro, you, you and Vinny Denunzio, go down in the wrestling room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basketball was not our thing. Yeah, if you were, if you, and, and, every, and everybody was five ten, right? Except for like you know one or two people, but everybody else was like, hey, every friend you had, you're all the same size. You'll always have Dante DiVincenzo. Oh, and <laughs> Vinny Del Negro, and that's Vinny about the only amount of Italians. Yeah, we that, can't even do dueling gambos we, for we, Italian. Right, basketball. we can't do dueling. Yeah. What we do? Danilo Gallinari! <laughs> Vinny Del Negro! Marco Bellinari! Mike Dantoni! Marco Bellinari! Give me another one! Give me another, give me another Italian basketball player! Oh my god. Come on, one more before I break. One more! <laughs> I gotta Google famous Italian basketball players. Ah, alright. They have the, the college football playoff. It's expanding. A lot of you got your way. We'll talk about that next Chris on 98.7. Chris Quachi! <laughs> I didn't NC even have to, State? I didn't even have to Google it. Just look, anyway, played for Valvano was Italian. He actually did he play. Yeah, he Corciani, was he to NC State? Yeah. I remember. Corciani and Rodney Monroe, fire and ice. Uh, maybe he didn't play for Valvano, but... Uh, no, NC he State. did. He, he played did. for Valvano. Yeah, yeah, so we should have figured that out. <laughs> College football playoff talk next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. <laughs> 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. After 2026, when the last four years of the playoff play out, to, to build out a 12-team format and then maybe try to backtrack a year or two. That's the most likely option. All right, I guess uh, the times, they be a-changing. Who sang that? Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. See if you can find some Bob Dylan for me. The times they be uh, be a change in. Because I was gonna, but Ringer's impression was pretty spot on. That was pretty good. Yeah, the times are a change in Bob Dylan. The college football playoff board of managers they voted today to expand the playoffs to twelve teams in twenty twenty six. I've always been against this. I've always been against it. I actually like the BCS. Give me the top two teams. Let's get it on because I never really thought that, you know, once you get past the top two, I didn't really feel like the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth team can compete with the top two teams. I think it's very top heavy in college football. And then I think that there's a big drop off. 
And that's been proven true with a lot of these semifinal games that have been absolute blowouts in the four four playoff teams. There is no question about it. The f- there's there's three teams. And that's it. Okay, there's 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 the group of there's the tier one that I like to call. There's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson, essentially in the playoff era, who have a chance to win a national championship. I know LSU rose up after they got a quarterback from Ohio State and had a magical run, and so they're a bit of an outlier. But every playoff season You'd essentially have a combination of three of these teams and then an outlier, a Washington. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. A Notre Dame. A Notre Dame. And those teams. somebody gets in and they get spanked. And they get spanked because the drop-off from these top four programs to the fifth, sixth, and seventh programs is so vast, they can't compete. So I'm with you, Gambo. I've always been a big fan of the of the and, and when you had the when you had the old system and you found the top two teams, it really essentially made the entire regular season yeah. uh, a, a, a playoff. What right? Cincinnati because kicked two field goals against Bama last year. And, and, and I think it, they kicked a couple of field goals. That was the only points that they had. I hate to they say, can't compete. I hate they to say it. It, almost, it, it. It looks it looks a little bit like what we saw last night at Sun Devil Stadium on a, on a grander yeah. scale. Scale. It, it really does. Now they're going to go to twelve. The eleven presidents and chancellors um, approved the twelve team model, which includes the sixth highest ranked conference championships and six at large teams, as determined by a selection committee. The ten FBS commissioners and the Notre Dame AD are going to meet to figure out the details. So the 12-team model is expected to hold the same architecture of the playoff model put together by the SEC commissioner and the Mountain West, the Big 12. So that's what they're going to do. The proposal had the four highest-ranked conference champions as the top four seeds, which each receiving a first-round bye. Teams seeded 5 through 12 would then play each other in the first round on the home field of the higher-ranked team. Then you'd have a quarterfinal and a semifinal that would be played in bowl games and then a championship game at a neutral site uh, as the current format. I've always been against it. Everybody else, I'm in the minority. I get it. Everybody wants more and better. And Well, I, I got, like, I, so I, like I've... I've I've been reluctant to that change. I didn't want 12 teams, 16 teams. I mean, I was okay going to, you know, the plus one model, you know, but now you're up to, you're up to 12. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's no way the 10th, 11th, and 12th ranked teams are ever winning this thing. No, of course it's not. It's never going to no, happen. No, unless things change on National Signing Day, the same three or four teams are going to continue to win it. They're just going to have to win more games in the postseason. Look, you know, we, we're, I don't know if we're in the minority, but we're certainly, listen, opinions different, uh, differ on this. It's a little bit like ordering a pizza. Some people like the, the certain things on pizza. Some people don't. Doesn't mean you're right. Doesn't mean you're wrong. There's just certain people that, that, that feel one way and there's certain people that feel the other way about it when it comes to college football. I get it. I will say this. Let me, let me present, you know, the other side of the argument. One thing the college football playoff did do is pretty much neuter all the other postseason games. The bowl games became utterly meaningless, right? You had players, unless you were a semifinal playoff game, the other bowl games didn't matter, right? Attendance was down. Top players didn't play in it, those games. Well, that's when it got bad. That's but it when was it got always, bad. But it was always, a, there was a couple of things about the bowl games that were positive. The one is coaches got about an extra three to four weeks to practice with their players. That was always the positive. You make a bowl game, 
You're you're not you get to practice. You get all those extra reps that other teams don't. And it was also just like a reward. The players get to go to El Paso. They get to go somewhere. They get some. They get some. Uh, well, garb. Right, but great gamble. You're a Pitt fan, and gear. they make the Orange Bowl, and Kenny Pickett doesn't play. I told you that's when, when it got bad. When players I, started opting out, they didn't want to play because they didn't want to get hurt. I, yeah. I, I told you I, I, I bought tickets. I went to the Fiesta Bowl last year. Took my kids. We went to watch Notre Dame. Their two best players didn't play. And they ended up losing by a few points. Would it have mattered? I don't know. I mean, their best defensive player and their best offensive player sat out the game. So, I mean, listen, by by now adding a 12-team playoff, you are going to get more meaningful games in December. That would be a positive. But you can't argue the fact now the significance of the regular season takes a hit. Because you could make a case back in the day, and to a certain extent even now, you know, national championship hopes could be affected by an October or a September loss. You know, it, there are certain teams that you lose a game. You, you know, lose you, early, you're done. You, you could be done. done. You could be done. But yep. now, now it's now, like now you're not. Now uh, you're not. Doesn't matter. Oh, oh, the Notre Dame, Notre Dame lost. Uh, it doesn't matter. They're gonna they're gonna be in the final twelve. Right. Ohio State lost. That uh, whatever. They're gonna be in the final. Right. So that takes, be in the final twelve. Right. So it's not a big deal if you lose the game because you always got time to come game. back. So I always liked that about how. When these teams played each other early, man, that was a big game. That was the Utah Florida is a big game. That was the brilliance of college football. Ohio State, Notre Dame, that's a big game. The loser may not have a chance to recover. May not. So, and now it's like, okay, no big deal. If Notre Dame loses to Ohio State, plenty of time to make it up. You could still even lose another game and you'll be in the top 12. And You're that, fine. And, Lose that, it. and that eradicates as a fan. That eradicates the edge of your seat emotion, sweaty palms drama of watching that game. That's what made college football special. That's what made it great. Like the regular a, a season game was in September. Great. Like mm-hmm. you're, like you know, again, again, like to personal experience. Like a lot of times, like Notre Dame and Michigan would open up in September, and like they were top five, and you knew whoever lost that game was screwed, right? It was, so it was like, I mean, you were you were living and dying with every play in September. Oh man, you go to a twelve-team playoff. It's like, well, yeah, it'd be nice to win, but you know, that's all right. You know, if we lose, we're going to be in the, we're going to be in the playoff anyway. You know, likely because we got a great team. But there was something special about the old days. And I hate to say, I don't, I don't think it's a get off my lawn type thing either. I just think you know, we already have an NFL with everybody making the playoffs, right? College football was unique. It was special. It was quirky. It was different. A lot of there's a lot of fans, into the NFL. There's a lot of fans with a lot of sports now. They just really care more about the playoffs than anything else. College football is going to become that. Text us your thoughts on the college football expanding to 12 teams for the playoffs to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. ASU, give the Devils their due. They took care of business against the much inferior NAU team. But there are definitely a few things that we noticed about that game that we like about ASU going forward. We'll talk some Sun Devil football next right here on 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports. Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Here's a second down handoff. Valaday with room up the far sideline. He's off to the races, to the 10, to the 5. Touchdown, Devils. X Valaday with his second rushing touchdown of the night. A 27-yard burst off the left side of his line. Boy, he showed great quickness getting to the hole and getting outside down that far sideline. 
They did. Running game was fantastic for ASU yesterday. Validate a kid. The Wyoming transfer. The X-Man. The, the big kid from Missouri. A couple of good trans. So three of the transfers really led the offense. Swinson, I thought, was very good. He was the Missouri transfer. Big kid. Only had five catches last year for Missouri. I liked him. Validate is the Wyoming transfer. He was fantastic yesterday. You saw that burst that he had. And then Emory Jones, the quarterback, who uh, did a really good job running. He only made one mistake. He held on to the ball. It was a sack. There was a fumble. One of the linemen got hurt. But outside of that, you know, they got off to a slow start. It was a little, the game was a little slow. And then they just took it over. And then you just completely overmatched, right? They couldn't run. Quarterback looked flustered. The, the interception that Soleil had, I mean, he was just like, he, I just want to get rid of the ball. I mean, he just threw it. He had no idea where he was throwing it to. And just, I mean, so late, like, it wasn't even to an NAU player. It was just an easy interception. That was a, uh, that, it was, it was, technically, it was still a game at that point. The play before, they had ripped off about a 20 plus yard run. Drayson Hall, it was a really good high school running back here in the Valley. So they have a little something going. They're down 17 to nothing at the time. You thought maybe they could get back into the game a little bit. And then Aaron Flugrad calls that pass play, and you're right, Campbell, the quarterback just off the back foot just heaves it to a gaggle of Sun Devil players. Kyle, Kyle uh, Soley uh, intercepts it. A few plays later, uh, Jones is in the end zone. Look, I got to tell you, let me get the disclaimer out of the way. Yes, mm-hmm. it was NAU. We get it. We know. But at the same time, ASU did what they were supposed to do against a team like that. They win the game 40-3. to Let's be honest, if they wanted to, they probably could have hung 50 on those guys. They didn't do it. A little bit of a slow start. But in that first half, Jones was 10 for 12, 120 yards, 156 rushing yards as a team in that first half. They're up 24-3 at the half. They come out. Valaday gets a long touchdown run. Uh, to to to, to uh, thirty one three so thirty one three game done over put it put it on ice that's what I mean they they could have they could have hung fifty on them I look at that game last night just through the the lens and the prism of how good can ASU be and I see the predictions of three wins and four wins and just judging on what I saw last night the fact that they played a clean football game they appeared to have their act together uh, Jones looked every bit the four-star quarterback recruit that he was billed to be and was at one point that didn't look like a three-win team to me and now I reserve the right to change that opinion if they lose 63 to no you don't three get that right I'm sorry. Ne- next no, week no. in Stillwater I'm sorry, but I do. But from what I saw last night, you're a sports radio hosts are not allowed to change their opinions. From what I, I find saw, that I found that over 25 yes, years. From what people I saw, hold you to it. From what I saw last night, that's a football team that can that that can win six six right. games. They get beat by 60 this against scene. Oklahoma State. You'll have people saying, "You said they were going to win seven <laughs> games, Ring." I remember. But you're like, I reserved the right to change. No, I heard you. You said this team's great. And they're going to win a lot of like, the, yeah. The, 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 I understand it's NAU, but mm. the data that I have now. After yeah. four quarters that's of all, football, that's all you have. watching Valaday run the football. <laughs> that listen, that kid. Listen, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to see He's, from a, 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 a Wyoming good. transfer. Oh, give me a break, man! That dude, that dude is—he's ripped up. He's fast. He's, now, so, yeah. he's got swivel. He's it got is, vision. It's a much inferior team. Okay, they don't have the size. They don't have the strength. They don't have the speed. But here's Herm Edwards, his thoughts on the win over NAU. It was a game where we we went in with the mindset of trying to run the football, and we accomplished that. We missed a couple big big pass plays. 
And then in the second half, we settled for, for too many field goals. Now, we have a freshman kicker that I thought made all of them, which is good to see. Um, we scored two touchdowns on defense. They get called back. So it's one of those games. There's a lot to learn from it. Um, but I thought, you know, we can hold the team to three points. Um, that's always a good night for defense. And when you can run the football, um, that's also good, good for offense. But there's a lot of things we still have to work on. Yeah, they only got the three points because of the turnover. And they got the three points at the end of the first half, and it was the fumble and the recovery. And they can't, couldn't really do anything with the ball. Yeah, yeah, the two pick sixes were, that were, that were turned for touchdowns were, were, you know, came back because of penalties. And you, you know, you, but overall, they were disciplined. They were much better than they were last year. You like to see that. They came out of the gates. They were, they didn't have a lot of penalties. They were good. They ran the ball very aggressively. I thought Emory Jones was, was real good. I mean, tough kid. Big, strong. Um, he takes, you know, you can just tell he's he, he's looking to gain those extra couple yards when he's running. Man, he's not looking to duck out of bounds or or just go down because he's a big, strong kid. They led all of Power Five in penalties last year, uh, Gambo. I mean, this was oh, every every. Yeah, sometimes so I, they'd have three full start penalties on the same drive. You'd be like, what are you guys doing? They, they would line up in the backfield. They, the running backs going the wrong way. Jaden Daniels turning the hand off to nobody. I mean, it was it was a it was a. Cluck, I am happy that Jaden Daniels is gone. I am I am absolutely happy to now listen the kid may I, I don't wish the kid ill will uh, and he may do great at LSU but I I soured on Jaden Daniels I soured on him Judging. and I just got to the point where man you know what this the ASU needs somebody different so I think that this is a good thing we'll see but uh, hey, not reserve the right to change I think that this was a good thing Jaden Daniels was not going to work here at ASU anymore no, I, I like the way Jones threw it I like the way he ran it I understand it was NAU I understand we're going to get a much bigger and better litmus test and a more accurate lit, litmus test uh, next week on the road in Stillwater but real quick back to Jaden Daniels what I was going to say is uh, apparently judging by the way his teammates reacted uh, to Jaden Daniels leaving, the way they kind of they didn't want him destroyed here his locker. Uh, they it didn't want him like, here either. It looked like they were glad he left as well. I think we're happy with Emory Jones' play in that first game. Here's Herm Edwards talking about his quarterback, Emory Jones. Quarterback very calm. Very, very, very calm. Um, thought he stood in the pocket pretty well. You know, made some couple throws. Um, missed a couple, but, you know, that's... Has something to do with the familiarity with the receivers, you know, the young receiving core. He's got another year of eligibility after this year. So if it doesn't look like he'll be a you know a quarterback that's going to go in the draft or anything, you you could bring him back next year. Every everybody got a bonus year because of COVID. So all these players have this extra year. It's a crazy thing when you try to figure out the eligibility. Forty three new players. That's a, this is an older ASU team. They're not playing a lot of freshmen. Oh, they played all these new players. Yeah, but they're all old. There's a lot of transfer guys in there, and that's a, it's it's not a young team. They've only got two freshmen, and none of those guys are too deep. They're like third string guys. So I and I I think the two new. I mean, this is all about the newcomers right now. We'll see what happens down the road. But I thought Validate, and again, I really liked the. the Swinson kid, he's he like six eight. He looked like a basketball player. Um, here's Herm Edward. Here's Jones. Here's Jones. Emory Jones talking about the playmaking of those other two newcomers, Valade and Swinson. I told y'all those some playmakers. <laughs> but not. Nah, I mean, I've been 
I mean, I've been waiting for like this moment to see those guys go out there and perform, and they did what they like supposed to do. What they usually do every single day. Uh, Masai, he's a big target. Y'all see, like you got people bouncing off of him, you know. And I mean, that's somebody I love though the ball too. Big, uh, big target can just just put it up in the air for him. And I mean, X, he just crazy dynamic uh, guy. He can break out and go score at any time, you know. So, and I'm just really excited about those guys. They put in all the work, and and I mean, it's showing. I'm going to have to ask my friends if they know this kid. He's from Bayshore, Long Island, this Messiah Swinson. i send that into my group chat right now to see if my boys out there know him. Bayshore, Long Island kid. Went to school at Missouri and was tabbed as the number 189 overall transfer prospect in the country and didn't really play a whole lot at Missouri. I think he only had five catches. He had five catches for 46 yards. And I said that on a broadcast last night, and I was like, wow, that's... Man, I'm watching this kid play. Like he's good. Yeah. Did Missouri miss something? Like I thought he was. I thought he was pretty good. Well, it's funny. I texted our our ASU friends this morning. I said, "Hey, Valaday looks looks like a player." And <laughs> the response was, "Everybody talks about who we who we lost. We got some guys in here too. <laughs> we got some transfers in here too that can play." So yeah, you know, for one night, for one night they look good. Uh, Valaday is going to look good a lot of days and a lot of nights. He he's yeah. the real deal. Listen. Gambo, he, he's he, no, nobody. ASU always has a good running back. Nobody, don't they? they nobody, always have a good back. Nobody playing college football right now has more career rushing yards than, than him. X Validate. Than him, he's the best in the biz in terms of career rushing yards. This, and, and now, and it's not a fluke because watching him last night, now I've seen it for my for myself. Was too much focus put on who they lost instead of who they got? I would say yes, because outside the quarterback, I, there were there weren't a lot of big names. Whereas the names that they lost were big, certainly around here. You know, Ricky Pearsall was a name, was a high school star here, mm-hmm. was their number one receiver. Clearly, you lose your quarterback. Uh, that's a name. Uh, you, you know, the, the linebacker obviously was, was projected to be an All-American. Uh, he ends up at USC. So, and I think, I think it was just the mass exodus that had everybody alarmed. Like, oh my God, we've lost all these guys. Nobody wants to play here. Our coordinators are gone. Yeah. Staff is gone. Right. And then there were no marquee. Na- and then the recruiting class was, it wasn't bad. It was nil. No, no, nobody n- nobody wanted to come out of high school. D-backs, they get the win last night. Melrose Kelly outstanding. Zach Gallon, the pitcher of the month. And the young kids continue to play well. We'll talk about Arizona D-backs baseball next right here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. The pitch from Woodruff. That one hammered. Left field in deep. 2-0 D-backs as Walker gets number 31. Here we go. The D-backs have won six out of seven. Can they Can they get to 500? Would be a tremendous accomplishment. Zach Gallen is your pitcher of the month. And, like, who else would it be, to be honest with you? I mean, Zach Gallen has been unbelievable. So Zach Gallen is your pitcher of the month. Oh, by the way, he went 5-0 and with an ERA of 0.68 in 40 innings pitched with 44 strikeouts and 10 walks. Let me say that again because it's old, like it's ridiculous. Zach Gallen, 5-0 and with an ERA of 0.68. People saying, wait a second, did he, he actually gave up a run. Yeah, actually, it was probably one, but yeah, 0. 
1.68 ERA, which was the best. So he was the easily the pitcher of the month. And he's got that streak going 34 and a third straight scoreless innings that he's going to take up against the Brew Crew. So Zach Allen, your pitcher of the month. But this team, Christian Walker with another home run. Corbin Carroll with a base head. Merrill Kelly with a great outing. You start to put this all together. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, yeah, I think you start to get excited about what the what not, and I don't want to say just the future, but like I'm a, and that's what I was saying earlier. I think you have a lot to be excited about the future of the Diamondbacks. How about the now? How about the right now? I mean, this is the time to really enjoy this baseball team. How exciting they are! How good they are! And hopefully, this will transfer over to next year with a couple of good moves by the by, by the GM. They could maybe they could be a contending team as early as next year. And it's the new players too. I mean, it's not like you know David Peralta is suddenly playing well, and it's okay. Hey, what, let's watch the D backs in September. Peralta's playing. No, I mean this is Corbin Carroll and McCarthy and these guys. That this is now a kind of appointment viewing. For not only diehard D-backs fans, but even the 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 fans that usually around this time of year start kind of flipping towards football, even on a Friday night, see what college games are on, or a Saturday, what college games are on. But right now, the way this team is playing, coupled with the the new blood, and they, let me let me let me watch this Corbin Carroll, let me watch this Jake McCarthy play some baseball, let me watch Zach Gallen pitch. It's appointment viewing to watch Zach Gallen pitch right now. In fact, if he hurls a shutout on. Sunday, he'll pass Brandon Webb. He's going to pass innings. Brandon Webb. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gallon's record is ten and two with a two point five three ERA. You know, if his team was better, he'd be in the Cy Young conversation, probably. I mean, top, but, you know, top, you know, top ten ERAs. Merrill Kelly and Zach. Yeah, Merrill Kelly, by the way, is going to join us in about ten minutes. So we'll have Merrill Kelly right. on the program in about ten minutes. We'll talk some baseball with him after that outstanding effort last night and taking down the Brew Crew. Kelly hasn't lost a game since June 24th. I mean, he's on an unbelievable streak, too. No, if it weren't for, if it weren't for Gallon's ridiculous scoreless streak, Merrill Kelly would be the talk of the rotation. No, what do you give up? Four singles last night. Four singles. Didn't issue a walk. Struck out seven. Brewers got shut out for the 11th time on the year. Yeah. And they're, they're chasing, right? I mean, they're chasing. They're three games off the pace for the third wild card spot. They need these wins. Like, this is the thing. You're beating good baseball teams. The Phillies need to win. The Brewers need, like, you're beating good. 60, these six wins have come against Teams that are competing, teams that are trying to win. So, you know, that's the thing. I think you're excited about that. I mean, you saw the speed last night with Carroll when he went from first to third on a ball off the glove of the shortstop. Carson Kelly gets a single off the glove of the shortstop. The next thing you know, Cor- Corbin Carroll's the third base. Like, how did he get the third base? Like, now he was out at home. Perdermo had a bunt. And it was a squeeze bunt, and they, they got Carroll at home because he bunted it too hard. So the first baseman was able to pick it up and just go right home with a good defensive play by the Brewers. But that's what they've done with this speed is that they put pressure on the defense with their speed. It's not going to work out every single time. And Coral was out at the Carroll was out at the plate last night. But you got to like that they are putting the pressure on with the defense. I love it. Tori Lavella with a win tonight gets career win number 400 uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he'll send Zach Davies uh, to the hill. But we'll have the D-backs on deck segment coming up a little bit later on. The Brewers, while one of those teams in the wild card race, as the D-backs, boy, are they playing spoiler? Are they trying to hoist themselves into the wild card race? That would be a long shot. That would be ridiculous baseball they would have to play to try to get themselves back into the race. But because they're playing so many contending teams... 
they can in fact be a factor in that role of spoiler, but also. You talk about cutting your teeth for a lot of these young guys. You're cutting your teeth against the best of the best in September, Gamble. So these games they're winning, and we talked about it earlier today. You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're not beating. You're, you're not beating cupcakes here. I mean, you're knocking off the Phillies, and you're beating the Brewers. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking on some of the best teams in the league, and coming up after the Brewers, you got the Padres, and you got the Dodgers, and a little bit later on, you got the Astros, and more Dodgers, and more Padres. So you know if they get if they get boy if they get close to the five hundred mark by season's end they will have earned it in September. Yeah, no doubt. Look at those. It's so hard to have an ERA under three today. Today's day and age of baseball, right? I mean, it's just so hard. Zach Allen's ERA is two point five three. Merrill Kelly's is two point eight four. They both rank in the top sixth. Gallon is third, and Kelly is sixth in ERA. So you got two guys with these these ERAs that are just. I mean, these ERAs you expected to see in the seventies. You know, you don't see a lot of ERAs under three now. It's just hard with the way the guys are hitting and the offense and the runs and everything. Then you look at this kid, Corbin Carroll. And he's played, first three major league games, he's got a hit in each one. He went one for four last night. He had a strikeout. But here's a player that's, you know, three games in. You're seeing a lot from him. Christian Walker with another home run last night, number 31. He's three away from tying Steve Finley for 10th all time. He'll probably end up with 37, 38. He could very well be third all time. Third all time for the D-backs with the, with the home runs that he's hitting. So there's a lot of Good things going on for this baseball team. And then I was looking at something today. Ten MLB pitching prospects primed to make the top 50 in 2023. This was a piece that was done on The Athletic. Ten MLB pitching prospects primed to make the top 50 in 2023. Diamondbacks had the number seventh guy, Brandon Fatt. Um, and it says a fifth round pick at a Bellarm, Bellarmine University. Fat looks like he could be one of the best value picks of the draft. He pitched to a combined 3.96 ERA and 24 starts in AA and AAA. And right now he's 3 and 0 in AAA Reno. He's 3 and 0 with a 2.03 ERA. So this so this kid is on the verge of being able to come up and help this team at some point. So there's a lot of good things going on for the D-backs, not just with the young players in the outfield, but there's some pitchers that that are going to be able to help them as well. Throws about 97 miles an hour, by the way. Stands yeah. six four, yeah. big kid, two twenty. Fastball. His last name is Fat. P H P A A D T P F A A D T P P F. Yes, excuse me. A A D T. Yeah, twenty three years old. I don't know if he'll be up this year or not, but maybe, maybe he'll be. Maybe they'll bring him up. All right, Merrill Kelly, outstanding performance last night for the for the Diamondbacks. Seven innings strong, four hits, no runs, didn't walk a batter, struck out seven. He has been a really good find for Mike Hazen and the D backs, and uh, formed a really good one two punch with Zach Gallen. Merrill Kelly's going to join us next. We'll talk a little D back baseball with one of the Diamondback star pitchers. That'll be next right here on 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.